Good morning. My name is Jimmy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. Uh, It is my pleasure to bring you God's word this morning. But before we jump right in, would you join me in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the privilege to worship you this morning with my brothers and sisters. As we gather for worship, I know that many of my brothers and sisters are coming from many different experiences throughout this week, maybe even this morning. And some of us are even coming this morning with a lot of sorrow or sadness or maybe even grief. And as we come, Lord, we thank you that you receive us no matter where we've been or what we've been through. Thank you that you bring us into your presence and you speak to us. Would you do that now through your word? And would you remind us what a great God you are? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I love to worship. And like many of you, there are different experiences that I come on a Sunday morning. I could have had a tough week. I could have probably gotten in an argument with my wife or my kids. I might have been even, I might even have received some bad news. And as we come before God, there are times when the words on the screen as we hear the songs of praise just don't fit our heart. There's an element in worship that often is not spoken about or even left out at times, and it is the element of lament. A lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. In fact, it's not only true to our experiences, it's so true that there's even a whole book in the Old Testament that is attributed to our lament. Most people come to church to be lifted up or encouraged. And a lot of times our expectation is that we want to be uh, lifted up and feel better as we leave than when we came in. And that's because the way we came in was with heavy hearts. Uh, It's because we come with a lot of things that have been troubling us or we've been filled with anxiety or worry. And my question as we begin our worship and before we look at the text is, what happens when we wake up full of sorrow and it's time to worship? What happens when you hear news of cancer for a loved one? What happens when this week you lost your job and you got laid off or your business is shutting down? What happens when a young man or a young woman breaks up with a boyfriend or girlfriend and their heart is hurting? What happens when we come back from a funeral and now it's time for worship? Or maybe during this pandemic, That there have been times when you've missed your friends, you've missed doing some of the things that you're used to doing, and and you're missing family, you're missing this, even maybe worship together. And sometimes as we get together to worship, or even sit down in our homes with our family or just by ourselves, that if we're not joyful, if we're not excited, that maybe sometimes we feel a little guilty. And I want you to know you don't have to. In fact, a lamenting soul before the Almighty God is actually okay. There's an article in the Gospel Coalition entitled, A Missing Peace in North American Worship, and is written by an author by the name of Eric Ortland. And he writes this. He says, Biblically, asking the questions of lament, together with a confession of trust, is an act of worshiping and honoring God, not dishonoring Him. It is a ministry to Christians who are hurting who are struggling with the distance and inactivity of the God they are trying to trust to shape and interpret their experience through the genre of lament. 
So today I want you to understand that it's okay no matter where you are, what you've been through, how you feel, it's okay to come as you are. And as I read the text today, I hope that we can identify with the psalmist in his heart, in his sorrow, and his longing for God. The word of God today comes from Psalm 42, and I'm going to read the entire psalm, so would you please read along with me? This is the reading of God's word. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. Day by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to, my, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do, you, why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. In this psalm, the psalmist is talking to himself. It is as if despair is speaking to hope. Where are you this morning? Where are you today? This priest is crying out in a heart of sorrow. And he's asking God, where are you? So what caused this psalmist to be in sorrow or in despair? There are four things that I want to share with us today as we read through the psalm of what led the psalmist to feel in sorrow and in despair. The first one was that he was kept from worshiping God. In verses 1 and 2, he uses this description of a deer that is coming to flowing streams and pants for God as he pants for water. And he describes his soul as thirsting for God. And he asks the question, when can I come and appear before my God? James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary in Psalms gives us some insight into this author. The author of this psalm are the sons of Korah. The Korahites were Levites. And they were employed in the temple as worship leaders. The main thing that was bothering the psalmist is that he was far from Jerusalem, the temple of worship at Mount Zion. He felt himself cut off from God. And he likens his longing for worship like the deer panting for water. We know that he was writing from a region beyond the Jordan, 
props to the northeast from Mount Mizar, the heights of Hermon. And just to help us understand, it's pretty far from Jerusalem. And so the psalmist feels far from his home and therefore from God. It's not because the psalmist doesn't know that God is omnipresent or that God is with him. But being far away from home has led him to feel sorrow and depression and has caused him to feel as if God were absent. The author, for some reason or another, is forced from the uh, temple that he is normally presiding over in leading worship. And so because he's far from the temple, he feels far from God, and he also feels useless from the work that he normally would be busy doing. You know, we all miss live worship. I know I do. I miss worshiping at Hope or coming to this facility here at CPC. And I miss not only just the people, but I miss the praises that I used to hear as I, as I sat in the front and listening to God's people. Unfortunately, we don't realize what we have until it's taken away. You see, worship is a gift. It's the greatest gift of God, in my opinion, because at the heart of worship is our God. And God himself is that gift. We get to know God. We get to call out to his name. In fact, the very eternal life that has been given to us through Christ our Lord is to know God. In John 17, 3, Jesus prays in his high priestly prayer that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It is this knowing of God, being able to worship him, that is our great joy. And because of the pandemic, we haven't been able to meet together and we've been sitting at home. And perhaps many of you, maybe even many of us, all of us, including myself, there are times when we sit in front of the TV and we're thinking, this just isn't the same. I feel so empty. I don't feel like singing along. I feel like the pastor preaching is so far away. Well, one silver lining about this pandemic is that it's forcing us to pause to slow down and take a good look at where our time has often been spent. For myself and my family, we reflected on just some of the things that immediately came to a halt. I mean, for me, I used to watch ESPN every night. I was looking forward to the NBA season continuing on to the playoffs, and it just stopped. And I almost just stopped watching TV altogether because I watched sports most of all. Or perhaps... We stopped running around with our kids to games and practices. We weren't eating out as much. We weren't going to the movies. We weren't visiting with friends. We didn't take any trips or any vacations. Or perhaps there's another thing that came to our awareness. For some of us, meeting God was only once a week on Sundays. That's never been God's plan. And when that was taken away, we felt empty. We miss people and we miss fellowship. And these are all good things, but they were never primary. God is always primary, daily. And corporate worship is beautiful, but it must be uh, our time with God that it must be personal before it can be beautifully corporate. That Sunday worship is the culmination of our daily meetings and worship with God. Not a time to eat after a week-long fasting with God. If that's what was exposed and that's what you're wrestling with, I think that's very good. If you're lamenting that you're missing our times together, 
I want to encourage you that worship has never been defined by a place, a building, not even other believers. It is first defined by God himself, who is worthy of our praise and love and adoration, because worship is about him. It's about being able to find joy in him, no matter where we are, no matter who we're with, because our attention and our soul, our mind is taken before the throne of God. Then and only then can we appreciate the rest that comes along with it, the fellowship, the gathering, and all that happens afterwards. Worship is gathering before the audience of one to give him glory, honor, and praise that's due his name. Worshiping God is not just a Sunday thing. It's an everyday thing. And though we miss in-person worship, he's here with you right now. He's not far. And so the psalmist was experiencing sorrow and despair because he was kept from worshiping God in Jerusalem at the temple. But secondly, he was facing sorrow and despair because he was taunted by the question, where is your God? In verses 3 and 10, he mentions these, these thoughts that come. He says in verse 3, that my tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Wherever he is, it must not be among the people who worship the true and living God. In verse 10, he says, it is like deadly wound in my bones. He feels this mortal wound to his flesh. He feels it in aches in his body. In verse 9, he even says, he feels forgotten by God. Not only does the psalmist miss worshiping at the temple, but he replaced this taunting question, where is your God? You know, in my years of preaching, especially when I did outdoor evangelism and preaching with campus ministries, I've been taunted many times by unbelievers. I've been called names, and, and really it didn't bother me because I knew who we were worshiping and I know whose name we were calling out. But the only times that it would bother me are times when those very taunting questions was what my soul was questioning. God, where are you? God, why, is it, why does it seem like you've left? Why does it seem like you don't see what I see? Why is it, does it seem like you're so far away? And as we sometimes ask this because of what's going on at home or work or school or maybe just in the relationships that we have, we cry out to God expecting an answer and it's just silence. And maybe there's tears and maybe there's feelings of depression or even despair. And I want you to know God wants you to come. It's okay. In 2013... Prior to my time coming to Christ Central, I took a trip to India with my previous church. And part of that trip, we took a week-long experience to go and minister to what's called the tea gardens in a city called Jaigon. It's just northeast in India, and it's on the border of India and Bhutan. And in the tea gardens, what we found was a community of very poor tea leaf pickers who basically lived receiving minimum wage, working long hours. And while they're working long hours, their kids are just uh, maybe spending two hours at school, but 
During the day that we came to do VBS with the kids, there was no school. They didn't go to school. They came to the VBS. And these, these families and these adults, they earned minimum wage, but they would often spend half of their monthly income on alcohol because they were addicted to alcohol. They were alcoholics. And as their children gathered together in this small building with dirt floors and a tin roof to listen to a group of Asian American Christians sing and talk about Jesus, and there was some crafts and some candy waiting on the side. And these kids were pushing in the front, trying to get as close as they can to the stage. And they, they literally looked like kids that were giddy and laughing and, and smiling with grins from cheek to cheek because they looked like they were at Disneyland. And I was on the side and I was preparing to present the gospel. And all I could think as I looked out at these kids is, God, where are you? Do you see what's going on here? Afterwards, I got a chance to talk with a father as he had some kids around him. And I said, are these your kids? How many do you have? And he said, I had four. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I lost one. He wandered off into the forest and I don't know where he is. I said, what? Did you go look for him? I mean, that just, it it didn't register with me as a parent. And I just began to question. And what I found out is that in, in this region of India where there's a lot of forests, going into the forest is actually off limits. In fact, they gave the rangers the, the freedom to shoot first and ask questions later because what, what would happen is people who are poor and needed income would go into the forest, cut down the trees to sell the, to sell the wood as firewood. And so to keep the uh, people from going in and cutting off all the trees, they told them that you cannot come in. And if you come in, you're going to get shot. There's wild animals in there as well. And so kids would sometimes go fishing or wander off and play, go into the woods. And he said one of his children just never came back. And I thought, what, what world is this? I mean, what, what kind of parent can just tell me that they lost a child? But I think if you've ever known someone who's had a child who's sick or maybe even lost a child, I think we all can understand that sorrow. And as I was sitting on the side, I remember when I was looking at the kids and I was just thinking, God, where are you? My heart remembered he does love them. He sent his son Jesus into the world. And so I felt emboldened and I needed to go and tell them about Jesus and call them to believe in him. And I just remember as I sat there looking at them and knowing that this is probably the best it's going to get for some of these kids. I just cried. I remember sitting there with just tears coming down my face because I I knew that God loved them. I knew that that's why I was there to preach about Jesus to them. And I remembered the gospel. And I want you to understand if you're struggling If you're hurting and you're struggling, you're questioning God, where are you? I want you to know that it's okay to come. But I also don't want you to forget that before we can justly just entertain any thought of God's love, whether God really loves you or not, we have to first undo the cross. You have to almost pretend like it never happened or it lost somehow its meaning and its purpose. But it never did. God loves This world, this fallen world, he's never left. In fact, he's come closer through his son. And so when your heart asks, where is God? I hope you can say he's in Jesus. And now that he's, not only is he in Jesus, but when Jesus left, he's here now through his spirit.
In fact, in Ephesians 1 verses 13 and 14, the passage says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of, our, of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What that says is that you and I have received the Holy Spirit. He sealed with us until that day of Christ's return. So when we feel like God isn't present, we must ask, are my feelings correct or is scripture correct? And this is again where the, where the gospel and the truth of God's word comes to our rescue and reminds us that when we get asked the question, where is your God? We can say he's right here with me. So the psalmist was facing sorrow and despair because he was kept from worshiping God. Because he was taunted by the question, where is your God? And thirdly, it was because he longed for the past. In verse 3, he, it continues and says, My tears have been, with, uh, been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? That this tears, this sorrow, and as he remembers the worship that used to happen, that in first verse 4, he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. And I want you to picture this man probably in tears, in prayer, pouring out his soul before God. He remembered how he used to go with the throng, leading them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. You know, remembering without hope can lead to a trap of despair. It can lead to the inability to live in the present as we continue to hold on to the past. To find hope and joy today means that we not only remember, but we look today. That the good old days are a gift to remember like a picture. But if we dwell there too long and take our eyes off of God, that can lead us into deep sorrows. Pleading for restoration is good. Asking God to reopen the churches so we can gather together again to worship is good. Asking God for a vaccine to come quickly so that we can, we can resume some sense of normalcy is good. But if we only dwell on what was, or we dwell on what we would like, then we lose sight of the hope we find in the gospel and in Christ. The psalmist was missing his work, the people, and the festive atmosphere that the people gathered to worship. He says, tears have been my food day and night. However, he tries to encourage himself that the remembering of the worship was something that was good. John Piper, in his comment on this particular passage, writes that he is not engaging in nostalgia. He is confirming his faith in the midst of turmoil and discouragement by remembering how real God was in corporate worship. That when we remember what it was like before March, when we used to gather together, and we long for those moments where we could sing and worship and, and, and hear live preaching and hear the congregation singing and taking uh, time to come together afterwards. I miss seeing the people. I miss, I miss kids running around. I miss the coffee and donuts, although I rarely got to get some. 
It's okay to feel sad and miss those days, but it's not okay to remain there. We must remember that although we miss those things, that God hasn't changed. He hasn't left. He's still with us. And that the most important thing is that God is pleased. And wherever you are, if you're sitting there, even if you're alone, if you want to give God his, your, the worship and the praise and the adoration, I hope you can do so knowing that the greatest and most important thing that we do when we come into worship is that he is pleased. And so what led the psalmist to despair was that he was kept from worshiping God. He was taunted by the question, where's your God? He longed for the past. And fourthly, he was facing overwhelming trials in life. In verse 7, it says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. What the psalmist is describing is like a feeling of drowning. Waterfalls. Can you imagine being under a waterfall and trying to breathe? Have you ever been in the ocean where you're trying to ride a wave or something? And as soon as you crash, as soon as you come up, there's another waterfall and you just go down again and you're tumbling. If you've ever experienced that, it's incredibly scary. And the psalmist is describing just that feeling. It feels like one thing after another. One thing after another. It could be a troubled marriage. Fight after fight after fight. It can be with a troubled teen. Argument after argument after argument. It can be a loss of job. It can be a change uh, that was unexpected. And sometimes life feels like you're under a waterfall. And breakers and waves are breaking over and over again. But I want you to notice what the psalmist says is that your waterfalls, your breakers, and your waves have gone over me. He acknowledges that these are God sent with God's purpose. And it creates a longing in the psalmist. And so the psalmist comforts himself with verse 8 when he says, Day by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. The steadfast love of God. It reminded me of 2 Timothy 2.13 where it says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. God can't help but be himself. He's going to be faithful whether we're faithful or not. And I love the fact that God's faithfulness and his love, his steadfast love, will never stop. It will never be turned or, or turned off. It continues in Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. John Piper again writes regarding this. He says, this is a prayer song and a pleading song, a song to the God of my life that is a song pleading for his life. You know, there are times when I think we feel like event after event, week after week, it's just been one thing after another. And what the psalmist did was that he went to a familiar place where he often met God. For the psalmist, it was in songs of worship. Songs of praise are prayers put to music. I want you to think about that. What we do in our worship in the beginning, as our worship team or worship leader leads us in songs, it is a prayer. It's either praising God, or it's saying something about God or us, but it's, a, it's something that we're singing. Who are we singing to? We're singing to God. 
It is a prayer put to music. It is the heart expressing itself, and it's powerful, and it's very freeing because we get a chance to express ourselves. And sometimes I think, if I can even recommend, a lament, a dirge. Sometimes these are very appropriate for worship. For those in my generation, the words of verse 1 are familiar because it's a title to an old song that we used to sing entitled, As the Deer. And the first verse says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. You alone are my strength and my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. We sing a prayer. We remember the faithfulness of God. And so... As we think about the things that kept the psalmist from really uh, enjoying and, and finding joy, but he found sorrow and despair, how does he move from despair to hope? The journey to find hope, there are three things that I just want to point out for us. First of all is that he preached to himself. In verse 5 and in verse 11, he says, why are you downcast? And after he asked that question, he says, hope in God. Not just any God. The God of my salvation. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness is in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself rather than instead of talking to yourself? And when I read that quote, I thought that was very interesting because preaching to yourself is an active and intentional thing we do. That every time you are wrestling and you're struggling and you hear these thoughts coming to your mind. This is not just sitting there and listening in and feel weighted and weighted down. This is the time where you need to speak to yourself like the psalmist does here and says, put your hope in God. His word must direct my feelings, not my feelings, his word. And so speak to yourself. Secondly, he remembers and meditates on all that God has done. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Harold gave a message uh, asking the question of God's goodness. And he says, if you have a longing and a desire for God, it's put there by God. When When he said that, I wrote it down because I totally agree. Our natural sinful tendency is to want to not want God, want to fill it with everything else. But if you want God, if you want more of him, I want you to know and be encouraged that that's God working in you. Pastor Harold went on to say, there's a person who loves God, one who's dogged and disciplined pursuit of God. But what he said was at the end, he says, God is disciplined and dogged and he's the one who's coming after you. You long for him because God is pursuing you. If you've been distant, if you've been hurting, I want you to know that the God of all comfort is calling you to draw near. To remember One of the most beautiful ways that we remember together as a church what God has done is when we take communion. And I know we haven't taken communion for several months. But do you remember communion? The bread and the wine? It reminds us of the sacrificial love that Christ demonstrated on the cross. His body given for us. His blood shed for us. I I know I'm going to be an absolute mess when we take communion again. 
Because it's so meaningful. It's such a beautiful, wordless picture of the gospel. Reminds me of the costly love of my Redeemer. And secondly, in this remembering and to meditate, Pastor D. Penn was quoted by Pastor Harold, and I quote both of them, to put it on repeat. To repeat over and over again the truth of God's word, listening to it, reading it, and then singing it to yourself over and over again through songs of praise. There's no one who longs for Christ who doesn't eventually find him, and that's because he finds you. Thirdly and lastly, he calls himself to worship God. To give praise to God. Praise him. Hope in him. Worship is not something you attend. It's something you give. Worship is not about how it makes me feel or what I get out of it. But how it honors God and what we bring to him. Worship is not before an audience of many. But rather it is before the audience of one. It's not for people first. It's for God first and then people. Worship is a blessing when we learn to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Worship happens in quiet moments at home, by yourself, or with your family, before TV. Or it can happen in the festive throng of loud gatherings of people singing together in one voice. Worship is coming before the face of God and not just before the face of men. In verse 2, it says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come, before, come and appear before God? John Piper says, a likely translation of the end of verse 2 is, When will I come and see the face of God? And he says, quote, When we see the face of Christ, we see the face of God. And when we see the glory of his, and we see the glory of his face, when we hear the story of the gospel of his death and resurrection. It is the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For all those who, are, who were hurting this morning and who sit here sometimes in sorrow because we miss the festive throng of God's people gathering together for worship, I want to read for you Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. It says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And for those of you who feel weak and you struggle, I want to also call you to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 9. And this is so beautiful because it reminds us the weakness we have. We have a prone, we're prone to weakness where we don't have control of our circumstances. And we remember the faithfulness of our God. In verse 7 it says, But we have this treasure, this treasure of the gospel of Christ in jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. I don't have that power. God has that power. And we're reflected in every way but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Why? We can be struck down. We can feel this way. But I want you to remember, Jesus Christ, for our sake, was afflicted. He was crushed. He was persecuted. He was forsaken. He was struck down. And he faced death so that you and I would not. 
Dear brothers and sisters, if you feel downcast, remember to hope in God and turn to him. And no matter how you feel, come to him. He welcomes you. He loves you. He demonstrated this love for you by sending his son. And his son demonstrated his love for you by his willingness to give his life on the cross. I hope that even in lament, we can find hope. Even in despair, we can find hope. And we find it in the most beautiful name that we utter, the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege of worship. No matter where we are, even if we feel discouraged, even if we feel lonely or in despair, thank you that you are the God of hope and the God of all comfort. May you comfort your people. May you remind us to come into your presence, even if we feel so low. I pray that you would lift us up, because only you can truly lift us up. And Holy Spirit of God, would you do that for each person, each brother and sister who's hurting or struggling. May you lift them up, and may you remind them that you have never left, and you will never leave. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.